Hello, and thank you for joining the IPG Media Lab up here on Floor 9. I am your host, Guy Elchison, and with me today are Adam and Christina from our strategy team. Guys, welcome. Hello. Hello. Thanks for having us. Glad to have you guys back on. It's, it's been a while since you uh, got behind the mic and joined us up here. So good to be here. <laughs> so nice to be back. Yeah, I'm excited for it. But the reason why we have our strategy team here today uh, is to talk about one of the new trends that uh, Adam here wrote up, which is Super Bundles, which will be kind of kicking off the lab's 2019 roadshow uh, for all our clients out there. So get ready for this. 2018. 2018. You're right. We're, we're not we're not there quite yet. Um, I'm already in CES mode. Um, but just, just to start off, Adam, I mean, do you want to kind of give us the history of the bundle? How did we get here? And specifically, uh, let's talk about the cable TV bundle. Yeah. So if uh, you've heard me give a presentation uh, in the past two years, you've probably heard me quote uh, Jim Barksdale that there are only two business models, bundling and unbundling. And uh, we think about this a lot when we think about what's happening in in our industry and in, in other industries. And bundling specifically is becoming a new topic and a new trend in that, uh, you know, we started our, the classic bundle that we talk about in the media space is the the cable bundle, um, where you had a bundle of television channels bundled together. It was a lot of content for a relatively low cost for the consumer, a good deal for the consumer, good deal for the content creators, good deal for the advertisers. And of course, that was also over time bundled into home internet access and home phone access. And we're starting to see a lot of that bundle start to come apart and be unbundled because uh, as Jim Barksdale says, you know, we sort of go from one extreme to the other and the pendulum just swings back and forth forever. But as that's happening, you see lots of companies unbundling television uh, from the rest of uh, of that bundle. Um, so obviously Hulu and Netflix um, and Amazon and pretty soon a bunch of other companies, which we're going to talk about in a second. And it would make sense for television to, you would think, to be remain unbundled and just sort of be its own thing. Because once it's on the internet, why does it need to be bundled with anything else? But what we're actually starting to see um, and expecting to see a lot of activity uh, around in the next uh, couple of years is that we're starting to see that TV and video content bundled together with new kinds of discrete services, not just not things like internet access, but all kinds of other services to create a bundle um, around the unique value and the sort of highly differentiated content that exists with with television. I mean, that's what Super Bundles is really about. It's about bundling a lot of discrete services across a variety of uh, products and, and channels. And I think the sort of canonical example that exists in the market right now is Amazon Prime. Okay. And when we talk about super bundles, I mean, when when I look at it, it seems like it's really focusing on this like ecosystem lock-in. Like the idea here is to create an ecosystem, make this lock-in even tighter around the product and services that a company would offer. So like you mentioned Amazon and they have Prime. So that is yep. that is their big bundle where that's the kind of like the flagpole that, that they started with. And people sign up for Prime because of all, all the benefits that come with that. And then they just keep stacking services on top of that. Yep. So the the lead benefit for Prime actually wasn't TV in the first place. It was actually free, fast shipping. Um, but they've added on other services, and including television, um, over time. And uh, actually, in new markets that Amazon is entering, they actually lead with TV as sort of the, the premier service because their shipping infrastructure might not be there yet. That's the thing that takes a lot of time to build out. So um, leading with with the, the TV content can get people subscribed to Prime and in that ecosystem ahead of maybe you know two day shipping being available in their region. What's funny about Prime too is I feel like if you, while we're in the midst of it launching, you look at the service and it's like, okay, I get two day shipping, 
I get books. I get video. I get an AI assistant. And it seems like this like mumbo jumbo of services and products lumped together. But I think the fact that it had one anchoring component at the core that tied together all of these services is the key idea that I think is starting to come through in a lot of the new bundles and a lot of the new frameworks for bundles that we're seeing emerge and will continue to see emerge over the next couple of years. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Uh, when you look at Apple, for example, their anchor is the iPhone, obviously. Disney, kind of confused what their anchor could be. Is that going to be their parks, their IP, their larger ecosystem of just um, content that they're producing? Yeah. So let's... Let's get into the exciting part because, (laughs) you know, Prime is interesting and I think it's interesting to look at as an example of something that's in the market that's already doing this. But what we're excited about is that we see companies like Disney and Apple actually now about to enter the market with what is what looks like a streaming service, but is also a a video streaming service, but is also a a tentpole uh, for a new ecosystem super bundle. And, you know, I think for Disney, I think they will lead with their streaming service. I think that will be the tentpole thing. It's just, you know, having access, subscription access to all of the Disney and Pixar and Marvel and Star Wars movies just by itself is already pretty strong. And then, of course, they're acquiring 21st Century Fox, so all of the Fox content. They're going to have a lot of content that people really love and are interested in, as well as, um, of course, new original series that they have announced uh, inside of that. So I think that's an easy thing for them to lead with. I, as excited as I am about the larger ecosystem, I suspect that it might take them a little while to start adding other stuff into it. But over time, I think we're going to see easily music and books and uh, comics and other kinds of media and video games bundled into that pretty quickly. Digital content's really easy to add to this bundle over time. But then I also think we're going to start to see physical things. Disney has an incredible ecosystem. So obviously access to the theme parks, possibly access to movies in theaters, Possibly, you know, subscription toy services where, you know, if Disney knows your kids and what they're interested in, you could get a box every month with new toys that appeal specifically to your kids. It seems like a no brainer. And I, those that building out that ecosystem, the more some of that stuff will be included at no cost and some of it will be included in premium tiers probably. You know, you can imagine a scenario where if you are going on a Disney vacation every year, and by the way, Disney obviously has their theme parks all over the world, but they also have a vacation service that has nothing to do with the theme parks that is lets you travel to other parts of the world where they don't have parks. If, if you're spending... I don't know, $10,000 a year on a family vacation to with Disney that you might get access to the streaming service for free. Because for you, you're already such a valuable customer for them that you're at a high enough tier in their, in their super bundle slash loyalty program that they don't need to charge you $10 a month to watch a new Star Wars movie. So there's lots of different ecosystem levers they can pull there. Yeah, I, I would say like just on like on the content side, which is interesting with the Fox acquisition, is that we've said before it's they now have a, a cradle to grave content package, mm-hmm. which is not something that every producer out there, production house out there, has right now. So they have just from a content side, they have a full range of content for families uh, that they can easily, like you said, just be folded into like the rest of their ecosystem and just create that ecosystem lock in. Yeah, and I think you know Disney as a company is actually specifically super well designed for this right from not not the very beginning obviously when they were starting it was pretty modest uh, animation studio but by the time they opened Disneyland they had built a a full ecosystem and Walt really had a vision there's this amazing graphic that uh, Walt produced that uh, is in the uh, article online but that shows how 
the movies for at the time for Disney were really the the lead content generators, but the rest of the company was really designed to maximize revenue off of that intellectual property. Every single piece of Disney is really designed to do that from the ground up, and that puts them in an amazing position to own the customer relationship across every kind of media and every kind of even physical location. And I think where it gets really interesting with Disney, too, if you think about Disney, I think they own 40% of the box office right now. Yep. Um, with Fox added in, I expect that to get even bigger. And if you think about the leverage that that gives a company, they could very well decide that instead of releasing Star Wars in theaters, they're just going to release it on the streaming service. And why that is smart is because if you're an average customer and you're really interested in Star Wars and you would go into the theaters to see it, but you can only get it on the streaming service, you sign up for the streaming service. And why that benefits Disney is you're then locked into a monthly recurring revenue stream for the company, which is really smart. Yeah, they probably may only make $8 off of your a movie ticket if you go to a Star Wars, even in, in a movie theater in New York. And that $8 is so much better if it's a recurring monthly charge. Yeah. And in a way, it's almost using the content as customer acquisition in the same way that actually Netflix uses their content as customer acquisition too and kind of invests forward. Yeah. based on expected user growth, based on the content they're investing in. Absolutely. Everybody's going to want to see Marvel and Star Wars. And if the only place you can get that is on the Disney bundle or in the, in the streaming service, I'm signing up on top of Netflix. I'd like that. There's no question about that. So like I said, like, right. that, that, that's a great way to send it to hook in the customers and then kind of get them into like the larger ecosystem. But that's you know a more media-focused company. But I, I want to transition into what Apple is doing, how they are kind of creating this super bundle when it comes to their smartphone, the AirPods, the HomePod. Uh, and just like their larger content bundle, like that's now coming out after the acquisition of Texture. Yeah, so Apple is also working on a media bundle. It seems pretty likely that it, in the next six months, we're going to see a launch of uh, an Apple video service, um, an Apple um, premium news slash magazine service. As well as obviously we have Apple Music already existing. Um, there's a lot of media or a lot of press speculation about uh, the video service being a direct Netflix competitor or whatever. And that was actually part of the impetus of writing this Super Bundles article is that I don't think Apple is ever going to directly compete with Netflix. They have no reason to. Netflix's ambition is really to replace all of your television viewing. Um, and Apple is super happy for you to subscribe to Netflix as long as you're watching it on Apple devices. You know, they already do make a cut of some Netflix subscriptions through, through the App Store. They don't they don't need to compete directly with Netflix. It's really about uh, customer acquisition and, again, ecosystem lock-in, um, which is why they're funding these new TV shows. So I expect that the TV content and the news content will be bundled with Apple Music, partially as a way to differentiate Apple Music against Spotify. Um, so it, you know, if you want to watch Oprah's new show or the new show from the guy who did Battlestar Galactica, uh, you are going to have to subscribe to Apple Music. And if you're already paying for that, why would you subscribe to Spotify? Sort of being the rationale there. But even longer term than that, Apple already does have a hardware subscription in the iPhone upgrade program, which is really just a financing program, but it, it's a way to guarantee that you are able to get the new iPhone first on, on launch day and uh, that you get a new iPhone every year. And to some people, that is you know super important already. But you can imagine more and more hardware starting to be bundled into this super bundle in some way, shape, or form. Uh, I keep saying specifically, I think the HomePod is a really good example of HomePod at $350 sounds super not competitive with an Amazon Echo or a Google Home. Or even uh, like a Sonos. Or, or Yeah, exactly. Or even a Sonos um, at the higher end. But 
if you if your option is well you're upgrading your iphone as part of your iphone upgrade program and uh, oh you can get a pair of home pods for your apartment and it's only going to cost you an extra ten dollars a month or even five dollars a month who knows uh, depending on how often you can you can trade them in then maybe you'll just say oh okay sure i don't have one of those devices yet i'll just take this one because it's here and uh and i've heard it's the sound is good you know <laughs> right uh, i think that it changes a lot of the dynamics we see around or a lot of the traditional thinking about who apple's target customer is who, and how big their market is they've always had a really good hold on the premium end but it could really make a lot of Apple's ecosystem much more affordable to people who maybe have, you know, invest in an iPhone, but have never really, you know, invested in the rest of the ecosystem. Right. And that's, and I think that's an interesting way for them to expand that market is because with Apple, I've always said, and my family said, it just works. Everything together just works. And if this is a way to get you onto, like I said, like upgrade, like, like the iCloud storage, that way you can sync your phone more. So that way a person does, does, doesn't lose their photos. And then they kind of get, like you said, like, like the home pods that go with it. I mean, it just becomes very, very easy and simple for a user just to be in the ecosystem and just kind of ride the wave. And I think their video investment speaks to a bit of what they're doing on the strategy side. So Netflix spends $9 billion on content. Apple will spend, I think, a billion this year. So what that tells you, right, is Netflix is going for quantity. Apple is going for quality. They're not licensing any back catalog content into the video service. And what that tells me is they don't want to use content necessarily as like a mass customer acquisition tool in the right. same way that Netflix does. But what they're trying to do, and I think with bundled with the hardware subscription, there could be a play there. But what they want to do is make sure that not everyone in the universe is buying Apple, but that everyone with an iPhone is on Apple's music and video service. And I think that's, to Adam's earlier point, I think when you look at that and you look at kind of where they're going strategically, it's almost not even a Netflix competitor at all. Yeah, I agree. I think it. I, I think that they expect that most of their customers will also subscribe to Netflix and, and maybe also Hulu and Amazon Prime and you know everything else. Yeah, because yeah. again, at, at the end of the day, Apple's a hardware company. Mm -hmm. And the hardware subscription concept is seems very new, but we just saw Microsoft announce an Xbox subscription that was bundling uh, their sort of on-demand game Very excited platform. about this. this yeah. I haven't had an Xbox <laughs> in about six years. I've been a diehard Xbox fan since the very beginning. And this might be the reason why I get an Xbox now. It's like a very simple $35 a month. Lease for to own. A lease to own. Get the content. Yeah. Full access to online gaming, full access to a catalog of 200 plus games. I'm like, this could be a way for me to get into back back into the the, the Microsoft ecosystem. And we know Microsoft has done it done it well with enterprise when it comes to kind of creating like an enterprise bundle. So it makes sense that they could come in and actually do this for consumers in the gaming aspect. Yeah, and I think it's super smart for Microsoft sort of coming from currently last place in the console gaming market as a way to, you know, again, it's giving people who otherwise might not be able to lay out even $250 for the cheaper Xbox currently, um, or maybe they would, but they wouldn't subscribe to Xbox Live or whatever as a way to lower that point of entry. Right. Um, and I think that it's interesting to see all of these companies who sell premium hardware trying to find new ways to get people into it. I think what Christina said about the iPhone is actually really important. What Apple is trying to do here is generate a new halo effect. We originally talked about the halo effect as back in, in ye olden days when, you, <laughs> when uh, people were buying iPods and the experience they had with the iPod was converting them into Mac users. Um, and what Apple, I think, is trying to do here is convert 
iPhone users into users of their services and also users of their sort of accessory hardware. And I don't think we're ever going to, you know, Apple's never going to make a $50 HomePod. That's just never going to happen. But by bundling it into a a hardware subscription, they can get the HomePod in the hands of some, and this, the HomePod is just an example here. This is true of a lot of hardware. They can get it into the hands of people who otherwise would never lay out that much money up front. And what's great about Apple's hardware subscription strategy is as we think about moving towards the next wave of innovation from the smartphone to whatever is next, whether that's AR or something else, a hardware subscription could make it a lot easier to get things like AR glasses or Apple Watch has been around, but things like Apple Watch and more mobile light, mobile next devices into the hands of consumers in a way that's less risky and more attainable and achievable. Yeah, I keep falling back on HomePod for some reason because I think it feels like the most uh, sort of niche Apple product on the market right now. like underutilized. Yeah, but the Apple Watch is probably an even better example of just, you know, Apple would love every iPhone user to also have an Apple Watch. And what's the best way to do that? Oh, it's just another 5 or $10 a month. The, the two things we know Apple is working on right now that are not released yet are some kind of AR glasses and some kind of car or transportation mobility platform. Both of those things are very prime, I think, for a subscription. Obviously, on the mobility side, you know, we're hearing it's going to be another uh, at least, you know, five to seven years before that comes out. By that point, I think we're expecting a lot of mobility to be powered by subscriptions and and on demand. So it totally makes sense to set up a bundle for that. And on the glasses side, one of the big challenges early on with AR glasses, once we have the technology to make them, is going to be cost. Um, I think that we could get pretty close to, to uh, you know, we even see like Magic Leap and HoloLens, which are on the market now, are $2,500 to $3,000. Um, so even once, even assuming we can make them look like normal glasses in a few years, which maybe we will be able to, they might still be two or $3,000, which is a really hard sell uh, for something that people, you know, don't know that they want yet. But again, if it's just another $10 a month, like you might be willing to give it a shot for a year. Yeah. And I kind of, as we keep talking about, it's always another $10 a month and there's just another added feature that, that you can go on top. Like, you know, is there going to be a point when we look at consumers that they're just going to be, they're, they're going to be, they're just like, there's just too many bundles and everybody's already picked their bundle. And it's like, that means as a brand, you're kind of locked out of retaining or getting that uh, consumer to come over to your ecosystem. Yes. Two points. First of all, I think that part of why we see this happening uh, right now is actually an extension of one of our Outlook themes, which is brand trust. Uh, Part of what's happening in in every market right now is consumers are consolidating their attention and their spend on the brands that they trust the most, which is what's allowing companies like Amazon to expand into places like healthcare, which would have seemed ridiculous 10 years ago for Amazon to be getting into healthcare. Um, And I think you see the same thing with Apple and Disney. Those are already very trusted brands in consumers' minds. Um, So they have permission to sort of expand into these ecosystems. And we talk about ecosystem lock-in, but which is sort of the cold, hard business reason that this is happening. (laughs) But I I also think that part of it is... uh, the psychological lock-in that these brands already have on people, that they're just now turning that into a business case. They, these brands already know that they have our money and our attention, and now they're just trying to maximize that, basically. And, and we have willingly given it to them, so it's not like they're taking it from us. Right, but um, it, they deliver good product experiences. And I think the reason why that is, and something I was thinking about recently was, 
in this age of digital, you have so much data out there that you're able to, as a brand, take that data and make really tailored products and services and market those products and services really specifically based on what you know very intimately about consumers. And I wonder if that's the case, if we do get the same type of major shift or what effect it has on timing of that shift back to bundling. Like, I almost don't see a world where because of this theoretical, intimate consumer understanding, I wonder if it will even happen that you bundle in things that someone wouldn't care about because you know what they care about based on their behaviors and their actions. I mean, I think I, I think these bundles overlap. No one, no, none of the circles overlap completely. No one's yeah. bundle is going to be 100% the same, um, which is going to make it difficult choices for people who are interested and passionate about a lot of these companies. In the past, unbundling happens when there's a tipping point when the value of the bundle and the things that are included in the bundle no longer serve someone. And there are startups that come in with lower cost offerings or better offerings in one niche service mm -hmm. that's better than going with the bundle, essentially. But I don't know if I see a world where couches are bundled with milk or bundled with paper towels. And it's like this random assembly of products because I think our knowledge of consumers might, well, hopefully our knowledge of consumers will have surpassed that and make the bundles targeted and valuable. I mean, I can see yeah. a bundle like like that when it comes to like the food and maybe maybe on the couch, but like, that would be under like a Prime subscription in a sense that that be, gets involved into what Amazon delivers to you, whereas you just get locked into like their ecosystem around groceries. So it's, I now have music, I have some TV, I have the Alexa as my voice, home assistant. And then with that, I, I'm now getting discounts on delivery for food. Uh, so that's where I can see kind of like, like the grocery play into it. But I'm, I'm curious to know from like your guys' perspective when it comes to like other industries that... Obviously, there is bundles to be had in media um, when it comes to like hardware with Apple. Amazon has got something going on. Transportation, obviously, with mobility, that's becoming more of a, more of a bundle. But are there any areas where we think that maybe bundling won't happen? Like retail, for example. I don't know what exactly what a retail bundle would be unless it's looped into a larger well, bundle. Just thinking about the grocery example. It sounds like CPG and grocery sounds like the kind of thing that would be really hard to bundle. But I think that's because the bundles that we have right now have different integration points. Amazon would like the grocery bundle and all the CPG bundle integration point to be at the retailer level. But I do think that there's an opportunity to integrate at a, a brand level around things like grocery in an interesting way. And that could be one way that we see unbundling of some of Amazon's platform is if, uh, you know, a large CPG company or a large even uh, like farming company, like someone who produces fresh produce, for example, were to create their own bundle. And actually, it just occurs to me that we kind of have this in a very sort of grassroots way with like CSAs around vegetables mm -hmm. and meat, that that is a point of attack against something like Amazon Super Bundle. It, the way that the unbundling always happens is by changing the integration point. And uh, I do think that at some point, I, I hear your point about the the trust in these companies and their knowledge of consumers. And I do think it's going to be very difficult to unbundle these bundles um, that are being created. But I think that the way that it happens is the consumer value changes and the integration point changes. So it's not that the bundles go away entirely. It's just that they're bundled differently. <laughs> I actually think what you said about CPG bundling their brands together is a really nice way also to get around private label on Amazon. Yeah. Because if you think about what Amazon is doing and their massive growth in private label, and especially with 
Alexa and voice shopping rising, it's harder and harder for especially CPG brands to get to the top of that voice recommendation list. And I think a really nice way around that would be for a massive P&G or a Unilever who has tons and tons of SKUs to think about what customers want, which bundles of their products, and be really smart about the way they deliver those, either through connected devices or auto-replenishment or things like that, but using that as a way around voice and private label stuff. Yeah. yeah. Adding additional value and an additional layer of service. The threat of Amazon private label is really about integration, the integration point happening at the retailer, that you care more about the retailer than the actual product you're getting and the brand of the product. So if a brand can generate enough trust from consumers, they can pull at least some consumers to a different integration point. Yeah. And that flows beautifully into our uh, two paths of differentiation for retail in a sense where if you make a better in-store experience, people care about the experience over the product, then that's how you kind of bring that differentiation in, into stores. And Target's kind of doing that. I don't know if that's where you were going to take oh, this no. with Target Fetch. <laughs> um, Target Fetch is a really interesting counter to Amazon. Also, it's a it's three connected home accessories. It's a soap dispenser and a toilet paper roll and I think a paper towel roll that are able to detect when you're out of a toilet paper roll or when you're out of soap in your machine and they'll automatically order it for you. I think that's already evidence of a really smart way of getting around what Amazon is doing. It all, it all comes back to paper towels, guys. <laughs> Always. I do think that there's probably a different integration point in the media side of things as well, because there are, um, you know, the, the, if we look at things that are not part of these bundles that we just talked about, there are some major media companies, notably Spotify and Netflix, who are sort of outside of any of these bundles. And there could be, you can imagine a sort of a super bundle that exists full of independent companies that aren't, that are a little more loosely tied together. Uh, and I think the way that they could work together is by finding a new integration point. If Apple's integration point is the hardware and Disney's integration point is the intellectual property, um, what might the integration point be for some like, you know, Netflix and Spotify and Roku working together or something like that? And I'm not sure that I have an answer for that, but I feel like that that's the, the strategy to think about it. The Android market, they partner with Android. That, that becomes the, they preload the phones. <laughs> I mean, that is, that is one, that is what is happening. And on the retail side, I would say we've seen, I mean, for years, subscriptions, beauty subscriptions, fashion subscriptions. I'm thinking of Birchbox. I'm thinking of Rent the Runway Unlimited. I haven't seen bundling quite come up in those areas yet. Those industries tend to be more... I would say less tailored towards convenience and more tailored towards differentiation. But if companies are out there, that I think that would be an interesting way in. Is a company like Stitch Fix a fashion bundle? They are in the sense that they're aggregating different brands into one box. You could consider that a bundle. Or at least maybe the start of one. Right. Yeah. I, I was thinking more you integrate across different service lines. I was thinking Stitch Fix and Rent the Runway Unlimited are clothes only and jewelry, I guess. But yeah, I, um, I feel like with, with, with the Stitch Fix example, it's kind of missing a key element of maybe like that's like the entry point, but then what other services are they offering on top right. of that? Because like, like that might be like the start of the bundle, but I think the biggest <laughs> part of, of, of having a bundle is having multiple different options. Right. Or If you had Stitch Fix and Rent the Runway and a cosmetics one. Like Glossier. Right. Glossier. If, yeah. Glossier, yeah. And I think where it would get really interesting is when you're able to layer on like personal styling 
and some sort of mm-hmm. service component where they pull looks for you and help you figure out what lipstick to put with what pants and things like that and like different outfits for different occasions. I think that could be really interesting. Moda Operandi is kind of doing that, but not marketing it really as a bundle, but they have like a wonderful concierge service and a wonderful tele-styling service that's amazing. I think now is a great time to uh, walk straight into some brand takeaways. Uh, we mentioned previously about brand trust as, as, as one key component here is you know, more and more of these consumers are putting their trust in a single company or a select number of companies. Um, but what else are you guys seeing that it's going to kind of really impact consumer behavior here that brands should be aware of? Well, one major thing is uh, to bring it back to TV and video is that a lot of these premium services are premium services that do not have traditional television advertising in them. Uh, And so one question we get a lot is, well, then, okay, if X percent of consumers move to these services, what happens to TV ads and how do we reach consumers and et cetera? And what, you know, and I think there's really two answers to this. The first one is that there is, you know, brand integration into premium content that it does just because someone's watching Netflix and there's no commercials does not mean that uh, you can't get your uh, your product integrated into stranger things because you 100% can the second I think response to that is in the long run a lot of the video advertising will move to social platforms to YouTube to IGTV to Facebook I think that's really sort of the prime video monetization or video advertising platforms going forward will shift away from the living room or away from premium content and into uh, social content. I think that social content, video content has been historically undervalued, but at the end of the day, it's you're reaching similar audiences with video content that they're watching in stream. So it's, it's really part and parcel with television. Christina, how about yourself? After hearing all of this, uh, you might be thinking, well, I need to race and start my own bundle and bundle all of and think about what my assets are and how I can offer a bundle. We can take a step back and think about, okay, Disney and Apple are two extraordinary companies that have an extraordinary collection of assets, both digital and physical, that they're able to leverage into their own bundle. I think these things are a couple years out, so it's not like it's immediately actionable necessarily, but I do think a good next step would be to think about your own assets what you have, what level of trust you have with your consumers, what they know you for, and then using that to inform either, do I make my own bundle? Do I have enough there to make it enticing for a consumer to be in my bundle? And if that's not the case, who would it be smart to partner with in order to create something really enticing that could lock someone into your service in addition to someone else's product or service for a recurring monthly payment? I think where this gets really interesting is when you think about Disney and Apple and the way that they're bundling not just video content, but also music and news content in addition to physical experiences like vacations and like merchandise, it's going to force people like Netflix and like Spotify uh, to respond and think about, okay, how can I now differentiate when I only operate in one of those silos? I mean, we're already starting to see early evidence of this with the Spotify, Hulu, Showtime bundle for students that's starting to get more popular. Really curious to see how this forces more independent players like that pure play players in either music or video to respond. I was a quick comment on that. I I wonder if they would need to respond because they have such a niche. And if you look at music specifically, that is such a 
broad category. Um, well, not broad category, but just like a, a very large collection of well, of music that that might be the one area where like they necessarily may, they might not have to respond in the same sense to stay relevant. Well, I well, would say that they already are responding by starting to sign artists directly, right. which is their equivalent of Spotify. original content. Right. Well, and um, Spotify just did that. Okay. Yeah. Because I can see it. I can I, see it. <laughs> yeah. And I think, I think that that is one tactic, you know, just like, uh, just like Netflix with original content. If you, if they can produce enough original content that you want to watch, you will always have Netflix in addition to any other bundled video services that you have. Spotify could get to the same place. Well, with that, if you're looking for more great content, you can check out our website at ipglab.com. From there, you can subscribe to our weekly newsletter. It's great. 10 out of 10, recommending to all of my friends. Uh, If you want to follow us on our social channels, it's at ipglab for Instagram and Twitter. And if you like what you hear, share, tell your friends, give us some claps on media and iTunes review, whatever you can do, we greatly appreciate it. So thank you. And we'll talk soon. 